And the validator commons meeting used to be right now anyway, right? So it's not like he's being super indisposed. Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast from independent validator teams. Hello, welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast where we work out whether we've been rugged by our guests. Uh, this week, we are waiting for uh, Dan, who's been on the show uh, before in a previous in a previous guise, in a previous life, uh, is currently heading up Validator Ops for Alio. Place bets now on whether or not we get rugged. Um, Alio or Leo? Do we I just say, heard? Alio. I say no. We're, we're not getting rugged. We're Dan's, not getting rugged. Dan's always so. late, but he's very, you know... He, he's he, a kind he, of uh, organized He holds his reputation in high regard. Yeah, he'll show up. <laughs> I thought Alio. I think, I think a, you're right. Alio. Alio? Alio, yeah. <laughs> Fucking every time. Wait, how do you say that new word? But Alley Up is quite is quite good. Like, that's a funny phrase. So maybe we should just rhyme with Alley Up. Alley Up. Alley Up. Alley Up. Networks are going to have to stop calling their networks obscure shit or, like, start, you know, having the you know enunciation little brackets underneath it all the good things have been taken though now people people have we, we've got out of the phase where people could even go for famous science fiction famous classics famous theological references you know they've already worked their way through all the beaches in california or whatever i mean there's what else is there right there's we're, we're on to like the fucking Z tier. We're like we're not even at like rubbish robert henline anymore we're, we've got no names left that we can use we haven't even hit like alpha, beta, gamma. Like we're not even at the Greek characters yet. Come on, get out of here. There's so much left. Let's <laughs> do a good time. Cool, your chain. Just start naming chains after like hurricanes. All right, so this is the hur- This is the Katrina chain. <laughs> you know what? Bullshit. Actually, I'm calling bullshit on that. There's almost certainly an alpha chain, and I'm going to go away and Google it. There has to be. There probably is an alpha chain. There has to be. So, so shit has been like kicking off in the last couple of weeks, eh? I, Except I know for the last hour. The, with the dump, the ten percent dump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just shit the bed. Yeah, they brush that shit off. They're like, eh, we we'll go up ten percent. Last hour, no, last hour's coming back though. Things are clawing back since Game of Notes started. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the catalyst for that? Did they not approve the fucking ATF again? Well, the only thing I saw was some some bullshit reporting outlet said that there was a hundred percent chance of it being rejected, and then that same reporting outlet. Also had um, articles this last month about how it was going to be one hundred percent approved, and and how Bitcoin was going to hit fifty thousand dollars or something like that. So I, it just seemed like a bunch of bullshit. Honestly, what at least what I saw was being reported, and nobody well, really knows. The S and P five hundred went down like one percent as well today. So I would yeah. honestly, I'm simple. If it dumps, it's probably just because it traced the S and P. Could be, yeah. I mean, a lot of things were dumped. I mean. I think stuff that we watch, Aptos, and then um, DYDX is down 10 12%. Uh, you know, Cosmos is down 9 So, I don't know. It, it was it was pretty ugly there for a little bit, but the things are starting to claw back a little bit today. Say is last up couple 20. Hours. Say, is up, say is up 91% in the last seven days. They are just about to cross the uh, 2 billy market cap. What do you think that is that? What, what's driving that? Do you know? It's not <sighs> NFT well, projects, is it? Is it? I, is I did it just meme buy coins? an NFT on say like you three did? days ago. Did you so buy something off say? It might be me. 
You know what? I don't know where I bought it. I should see if I can find it. One, I'm really going to say doubles the, what does that do? Double the, the usage, daily active users. Hey, yo. That's hey, not yo. nice. <laughs> Might be I'm really, hey, really not sure. I, I think it's the narrative around the um, around the V2 and marketing and market makers and be. actual. It, it seems like they are starting to get some users in there too. Um, I don't know what they're, what they're doing to get them. It seems like that is not like in my Twitter. It's more the validator shit. So I don't really you know, see marketing. Seemed, I'm not sure what they're doing. It seems pretty stagnant until the inscriptions happened. And I think that Say doing really well on inscriptions kind of brought a little bit of attention to it because Say was one of the better networks that I experienced doing inscription. Near was the best. They basically. <laughs> Let me be clear. Or whatever. Near oh, was I'll, the I'll best. Talk, <laughs> I'm going to talk up near any opportunity I can. Uh, and then say it did great as well, except for the price feeder. That always sucks. Yeah, I never really had that much problem with the price feeder, but um, definitely like the network crushed it in terms of throughput. I am having now a lot of problems with some of my nodes, but that's probably yeah. a null thing. No, um, today, today I had like I had huge issues in in the EU. I had I ended up restake syncing like three out of four nodes. Um, this afternoon they were all they were all lagging back, and then I started dumping things. And also, this upgrade actually made a huge difference. And the upgrade was really weird. I had like the traffic that I see at RPC is totally different post upgrade. So yeah. I don't know what changed. Yeah, like it's a, before we had a lot of like very uh, like very consistent jumps in traffic between like 500 to 1200 requests a second, and for some reason now it totally flattened out. So I don't know what the hell changed post upgrade, but it's really weird to see different traffic pattern. Oh look! I just got an I just got an alert for a for a say Western EU issue right now. How exciting! So I my my archive we're currently in the process of moving my archive, but its performance has not been great in the last couple of days. It reset like four times overnight, so I need to do a bit of investigation on it in the morning. Currently, seventy five hundred blocks in lag, which is a pain, and so. Yeah, but not 100% sure what that is. I'm hoping that the upgrade sort of fixes it. So this is this isn't your this isn't your archive that's, you know, physical tin in a data center. No, upgrade. this is the one which is very soon going to be moved to the physical tin. I uh I nuked my tin. <laughs> I uh, I'm new to um Microtik routers. And uh, I made a configuration change on a page that I shouldn't have done it on. So I have since found out that Microtik routers have this quick Microtik page. Microtik, Microtik. Microtik. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I agree. Um, you like that? You like that chef that, that said microwave instead of microwave? <laughs> microwave. I, I like to put emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so there's this the, the the person who built my server, right? They set the fucking IPMI or the management port as a static address, and when we pre-configured the um, Microtik router, uh, we had it all to take DHCP um, and then assign it to certain things on the public address, right? And so it was expected that it would be DHCP because they didn't ask me for a, you know, network schema configuration. They're just like, 
set it to this random fucking <laughs> anyway so i had to go in there and add some addresses uh to the router to get it to talk to that local address and when i was adding them um there's a quick set page and i thought that when you add stuff in the quick set page it just adds that thing to the configuration not completely nukes everything and adds that thing so i just completely nuked my access to that router so i'm, I'm flying back to melbourne tomorrow to fix that you, don't um, you have you have remote hands though can't you have somebody who'll help with that yeah yeah but i'd just rather do it myself because i anticipate that i'm gonna have other issues as well i don't really want to be like back and forthing with remote hands hmm. but so wait how much is it going to cost you to fly back to melbourne a couple hundred bucks some kanga bucks yeah it's pretty cheap. There's a flight that goes right from where I am to Melbourne direct. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty cheap. Your pain cost, It costs spine. more in the Uber to go from where I live down there to the data center than what it costs to fly from here to fucking Melbourne. Wow. I mean, like, it's. I feel like we've already tried to have an intervention, but you just really want to be there in your parents' basement cutting. Well, they don't live in... What are you talking about? So, my partner lives in Melbourne. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking about living... I've got no problem with, with Melbourne. Melbourne's a nice place. I, I mean, I mean, physical tin. You're kind of just self-harming. We're just kind of having to watch it. There becomes a point. There's a, there's like, if you, you can graph the, the scale of, like, economy, and there becomes a point in Australia where it's just better to get hosed with hosting and internet fees than what it is to rent metal with enormous hard drives so that like we've got we've got a lot of space on this new um, machine and to rent that type of space i'd just be getting hosed like every month i would, I would never be able to recover the costs so i just like i don't know there's got to be an easier way to like i know we all run infrastructure companies but like the <laughs> The, the the goal of any scalability question, right, is to find out the minimum amount of time of hours plus money to, you know, like it feels like any situation, like I know it's, it's an interesting, like it feels like, it feels like you're just playing on hard mode for just because you're stubborn. Like, like I, I can't prove it because it's really hard to prove, but, but it's just like an intuition that we're in the Jurassic Park looking glass here where where just it's like just because you 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 could you know just because your signed your infrastructure engineers could didn't 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 mean they should look man we're blasting through the uh the learning curve here right we i want to run metal for certain things and i, I want to run out of australia it's just that i cannot fucking rent anything in australia because there's so uneconomical it's not funny like the the absolutely fucking ridiculous costs they ask here to rent something is just outrageous it's worse than bloody soul oh i was man. surprised by how expensive it is to rent hardware in asia pacific just in general like it's, the fact that generally pay- the internet though the the internet costs there are insane compared but that doesn't to make like- any sense to me right because like my uncle lives in japan in hokkaido like in the middle of nowhere japan very north and he has had gigabit internet for like $3 a month for like the last decade. So <laughs> why are we paying so much? Well, it's, it's, not that it's, it's not that it's not available. It's just that the congestion, like when we're talking about these data centers, they're like 
in Tokyo or in Sapporo or whatever. And the congestion in those areas, like it's a really expensive property and space and electricity to be able to put the shit. And then like you can't just go and build new like trunk mains of fiber. Like you have to use the existing. It's just there's nowhere to put it in the ground. And I feel so, like at this point we're at a kind of more unstructured um, version of like an economics explained uh, YouTube video now. Because I mean, oh, you, the, you watch economics explained? Another yeah, fellow Aussie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a reasonable. It's a reasonable. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's pretty good if you just like you know making some pasta bakes or something <laughs> you know batch cooking or something like that and you're just like i kind of want something that makes me feel like i'm learning something but i also want it to be semi larry oh an australian doing economics podcasts let's go um so our, yeah. our best youtube expert uh, exports are economics explained the batuta news and Tom the, the batuta news batuta news <laughs> and the um we should why did we name this that should have been our, that should have been our name and the honest government ads and they've started doing no. like other countries now, like Europe and shit. Absolutely, absolutely not. Vati Video is Australia's number one export for YouTube. No, no, no. Drain Addict. What is it? Vati oh, Drain Video. Addict. They do like they do like Dark Drain, Souls videos. Drain Addict. He has a great is, voice. Drain Addict is Australia's number one YouTube export. Back in the day, I would have said it was um, uh, Let's Drown Out, maybe, because that was like one of the OG Let's Plays, and it was. An Australian Gabe and then Yahtzee from uh, Zero Punctuation just complaining about things while playing Half Life for like 55 hours. It was absolutely classic if you just needed something on in the background while you were working. And it was kind of it was kind of like office noise because it was just two nerds complaining. And so you're like, oh, okay, I'm working from home. This is kind of this kind of checks out as like constant people complaining about the different versions of Half Life and how they're stuck on a certain bit or whatever. That was pretty good. Anyway. Hi, hey, Daniel. Tom. How's it going? Hey, good day, Dean. I'm just listening to this. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Is the, I don't know how we, I don't know how we sort of fell off. Stuff, the, uh, those commercials where they like saw people like dying on the train. If they like, you step into it and it's like, is that something completely different? <laughs> what? <laughs> There's like those Wait, what? commercials where, it's like if you don't obey the law, then you're gonna get hit by a train and die. And it's like there's a like cute animation where they get sliced up like ham. No, I feel like that's not Australia. <laughs> is that the the Bosnian Ape Society YouTube where it's like this is how you defend your family, your family, <laughs> uh, your, your family sized car from an advanced Russian stealth fighter? I, I <laughs> maybe it's, it's New Zealand. It's like all animated, but it's very surreal comedy. I'll try to find it, but um. okay, we're, we're into the we're into the googling googling for YouTube links uh, I, section of the I, podcast. Uh... I actually do have a, a brief, but I know we do actually have news, obviously, and all of those sorts of things. Um, but hey, b- before we get to the news, go on with your thing, and then I'll do my thing. Uh, okay, for for those of you based in the UK, it is totally tax time, as the ticker suggests. Uh, remember, you've got till the thirty first of Jan to put all of your degeneracy into a spreadsheet and give it to old uncle tax. Otherwise uh, you, you're going to the big house. So that's, that's the end of that one. Is I've got what? a fun thing related to tax time. It's fucking tax time at the start of the year. That is inconvenient. Not only is it the filing deadline, but the pay, the filing and payment deadline are, well, okay. It's, it's different for companies and people. It's a little bit 
but but the deadline is kind of the same right 31st of jan you've got to have your filing done and you've got to make either your full payment or your first payment depending on whether you're a company an individual or somebody who pays the the one where you have to pay a little bit in advance but then you pay less later you see everybody what? in the comments just started saying drink because <laughs> dan talked yeah no because we started talking text <laughs> within the first 20 minutes uh, um anyway so on governance news i just saw this morning and schultzy and serp you probably also saw this did you see the dydx proposal i saw that you posted it so this is a unjail some validators during the dydx emergency well, upgrade that happened on it, thanksgiving it is, i think it, it was it is not unjail it is it's even better than that it's even it's better than that the it's record it's exactly it's purely a reputational rewrite for no fucking reason other than reputation there were because slash it, though weren't they yeah, but it doesn't say anything about the slash it said the, no the, they, yeah they, they want to get rid of the the record in the state because exactly. of marketing it says because it fucking competition yeah they accept the mistake and they accept the slash but they want the marketing info to be rewritten Ah, but there was no slash. So if there was a slash, they probably oh, yeah, would push the slash. point because then there's actual consequences. Now there's no consequences of the marketing, so they want to get rid of that consequence because that's small, right? So that's we just really want no consequences for everything we do. I mean, this kind of makes valid. This is kind of what people already think validators uh, kind of like, but these guys are like saying the quiet bit out loud. So um, Rama asked if... I asked this from Kuji, and no, I didn't ask for it to re be removed from the state. I asked for the fucking the the website thing. Wait, to hang not on a show, second. Hang on a second. Show the slash forever. Do we need to get out the hi hypocrisy, Claxon? <laughs> no, I. Firstly, I haven't told you my opinion yet on the DYDX thing. Secondly, <laughs> yes. Secondly, yes, I did ask them if they could time out the thing after a certain amount of time. So, you know, take your comeuppance for a year or six months or whatever and then have it disappear from the website, not from the blockchain state. And the reason for that is is because, sure, you made a mistake, but, you know, having that thing there front and center on that website guarantees you to lose all of your um, delegations. So... The op the other option is is just we unbond now and rip the bandaid off because we've not been making money on that chain for now for a year and a half. So, what about airdrops? Have you claimed your airdrop? Yeah, I'd say with airdrops we're probably just about break even if you don't count my time as anything. I don't because <laughs> the the like the just the the price feeder alone on Kuji is like expensive in terms of time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's quite expensive. Yeah, but I mean, no one at all values validators' time. So, <laughs> I mean, not even validators, which is half the fucking problem, isn't it? Like, we're all just like doing the maths of like, oh, well, does, does this make sense? Does this make sense? It's just like, oh, this one's, you know, bringing in money and the servers are costing less than what it's bringing in. So that's all profit, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. Like, what, They're like, why am I so fucking tired all the time? <laughs> why have I not slept in a week? So um, on the DYDX thing, though, I there's a couple of aspects, right? They didn't tell people at all, which is 
I don't quite understand why they didn't trust all of their validators enough to tell them. Usually there's like a security group that you would give the upgrade to. But in saying that- Just to clarify, you're talking about now the emergency upgrade for the jailing, not for returning the proto-rev funds, right? So- So We're talking about jailing. So I'm still talking about the DYDX jailing, right? So the circumstances were for that upgrade is that they told a couple of people um, who they believed to like be key um, for the chain to continue, right? So obviously the big state guys and um, they told us, but I think it was because we run infrastructure for them. So they didn't want a break in the infrastructure, Um, but it was not very long ahead of time. Um, and then they didn't so tell to be clear, anybody. The people, that they, the people that they told, do you know if they were just partners in like institutional staking services companies or, or was it? They were validators with a lot of amount stake. of stake, not yeah. whether or not they actually. No, it was, it was purely on will the chain keep running. Right. So it wasn't like, oh, this is big balls venture backed. Um, no, it was, it was more hey, like, how can we tell the that. least amount of po- people possible and share the new binary with the least amount of people possible? Okay. So it wasn't about Jimmy um, Big Balls, still, Billy no. Big Balls, and Jimmy Small Balls. No, it was about it was about who could we tell, how could we tell the least amount of people and distribute the binary to the least amount of people, but still have the chain running is what I can gather. So what you're saying um, is they decided to treat their trustless uh, decentralized software like it was trustless decentralized software running in a low trust environment. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it, it's. I believe that the you know the the vulnerability was bad that they had, so they had to like it was it was security based. But in any well, case, they didn't tell. Not exactly. It was security based in the sense that I helped just I helped find the bug, right? Which kind of is a little bitter in that they didn't tell they didn't actually give us the the binary, but we helped find whatever. Anyway, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you helped find the bug, and then they were like, "Oh, you know what this is," but we're also not giving you the thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I was in the middle of Thanksgiving whenever all the alarms went off. FBI. Yeah. Same. Um, I literally ran across Manhattan. No one knows because I was on phone with him. Or yeah, you're going I was texting you. Yeah. We, we literally got into a cab. We're going out to dinner. We're pulling into this place, and this thing goes off. And I was like, motherfucker. Like, I see his missing blocks and everything else. I'm like, motherfucker. And, like, I, I could see it there. And, like, so I, up, literally, I literally ran across, like, seven avenues to get back to the hotel to run it. Oh my God. Okay, but I, so I this slightly smarter satchel that I would take my laptop with. Me well, I brought it back with me. Back. I wasn't yeah. expecting. We were going to be gone for. If I'm usually gone so for a couple of hours, I usually don't do that. But just put a toilet seat down and work with the toilet if just, I need to. <laughs> Serp was Serp sent me this message. He's like, "What the fuck are all these alarms?" And I'm like, "There's an upgrade." And he's like, "Ah, what? what? Just got in a taxi across town." And I was like, "You don't take your laptop with you everywhere?" No, I take my something laptop. like that. I, when it was only a couple of hours. I was like, "No." Nah, <laughs> That, that's exactly what to do as well. And for my, mine went off really as we were serving Thanksgiving dinner. So I was like, oh shit, I'll be back in like, I don't know, half an hour, guys. Oh. And so people, yeah. So I got through pretty quick. It wasn't bad, but. Okay. So they didn't tell anyone, right? So that's like, <laughs> that's fine. They did it for whatever reason. They didn't tell anyone. But the jailings, like, I feel like they should have had enough coverage and. Uh, alerting to be able to fix it within three hours, regardless of whether it's the middle of the night. When alarm goes off, I wake up and I fucking go to work. Like that's 
you know, the, that's the validator way. You don't sleep anymore. So some of these people have teams, some of them don't. But in any case, they should have adequate alerting that they're aware of the issue and can get someone to fix it right away. So, and particularly like, what is it Autostake? They're, they're a big, they're a pretty big uh, outfit, right? Yeah. Who's, who's put the um, proposal up. So yeah. if they got jailed, I would have expected they would have enough coverage to be able to yeah. take care of that when it happened. I mean, I think the question there is more like about their own internal process and whatever. I mean, I, I know that we have uh, the, a lot of our alerts and things are set up based on the slashing window or whatever network it is. That's that's the reality because I we you know, very early days in the podcast, we had Jack on here, didn't we? We were talking about the slashing window. And the idea is that in a crisis, if you need to break out and actually get some fucking sleep, you can, right? And that's kind of been our, our rule on that. And there are some networks that are super forgiving of that. There are some networks that are not, but you should kind of plan your alerting accordingly. Um, you know, there are, there are networks with no slashing window, but equally you're losing money from the get go. The page is going to go off straight away. If we start missing blocks on Aptos or something like that, where that is the case. Um, but so, it does beg the question of what the fuck auto stake were doing with their rotor. Uh, I mean, I know it's a bear market. Have they just canned off the, uh, the expensive having people on call all the time in every time zone It is very expensive to do. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't mind last minute upgrades. I kind of don't appreciate giving the VP heads up. And then you have everybody else underneath that, underneath that waterfall. That's just fucked. Like that to me, doesn't, that doesn't really doesn't seem like the best kind of method for performing upgrades. And there's ways to be able to communicate yeah, securely and those types of things. But just to say, Hey, we have 67% and whatever happens to the delegators on these other things. Um, I think it's just a, that's a, I think that's kind of poor, honestly. Um, well, I mean, hopefully- we have a we have a guest here, right? Who might have an opinion on this? Like, is there a situation in which you know, Dan, from your perspective, you're like, well, no, the 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 network becomes first as a priority, right? So we're going to have I, I just have to have it out to dry, right? I I have to have a dig here. So the network does come first at at Danland, and they just block all the other validators. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's true <laughs> they're like there's problems so bugger you people we're doing our own thing now <laughs> slap it in client bo- mode boys because you're not a validator anymore <laughs> yeah. there's just a gate that just goes <laughs> yeah i think maybe communication if if like there's an agreement in place where the type of communication um is sort of understood by all parties it's uh, that type of responsibility is something that people need to be ready for. But yeah, I, I I don't I didn't dig too deeply into what was going on in DYDX besides like the sort of like the two big validators there. But um, yeah, I, I I was just kind of listening to how you guys were describing um, some of your own sort of setups in terms of how um, you get alerted or if you have teammates in different parts or different time zones. Um, but so all of us here would be in that very situation. Everyone in this room would have a setup to be alerted pretty soon. Uh, like we would all have stall warnings, and yeah. we would all have miss warnings. My miss warnings are tiered. Like if we miss five percent, we'll get like an information in our in our Discord. But once it goes up a little bit higher, you might get like a an average warning, and then that might be a ping with no noise on your phone. And then if it goes to like, you know, another certain percent, it would be like a catastrophic warning 
and you start getting phone calls and texts and all that type of crap yeah. to the on-call. Yeah. So a, a crazy thing happened a while ago, which was that um, I got a new phone because, I mean, was this when I had my phone stolen or was this before that? I got a new phone, set up pager duty, set it up to do the override thing. You can see where this is going. Um, and then there was an incident and the phone didn't override, but it just happened to be on vibrate. And um, I used to be a super heavy sleeper, right? You could have probably stood on me and I would have just kept sleeping. That has changed with small human. Um, and a bunch of people sent messages being like, yo, have people, have people noticed this has happened or whatever? And I think it was like signal or, or telegram, whatever. My phone buzzed so much on vibrate downstairs an entire floor away that it just like tripped my ear. I just, my ear was like, there's some kind of a buzzing. Maybe it's a fire. I don't know why evolutionary sense, but yeah. I just like kind of came to in the in like three in the morning was like, I sense a small vibration that's worrying me. So I get up, I wander downstairs. My phone's just like buzzing away with like notifications. And also partly, I think it was one of our fallback alerts, which is a text message, which it's not as dramatic as pager duty but it does just trigger my phone to buzz every 30 seconds and i was just like walking across the house towards this buzzing and i was like i think it's the phone and i was like oh fuck okay we were 25 minutes late to this party but i was also like holy shit it only took 25 minutes for the the buzzing level of a phone to wake me up so this is a rama sort Madness. of a, rama sort of gets it here uh in that he's making fun of alert ptsd man i can tell you alert ptsd is fucking real and, <laughs> it's real. Very and real. i feel physical pain when pager duty goes off that noise it makes mm -hmm. will cut through the deepest sleep you could possibly be in and set you into a state of alertness in less than half a second the funny, and the funny i heard it go off in the mall the other day i'm not sure if someone had it as a message tone or something and i almost threw up <laughs> no you know we were talking about how you're burnt out and you need to take a break last episode or the one before you were talking about how i was burnt out i was talking about how i can work 25 hours a day yeah and you're talking about how horrible you feel you're like flex oh, i can't talk guys <laughs> and when what my phone goes off i vomit <laughs> um yeah incidentally uh feeling great this week my bag's bags are still there still there yeah still that's valid those are validator bags you're bringing with you, you I mean, it's funny had the kids I, last week well, i i have a question um like so so we had some something similar we 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 even when i used to be at steakfish um we even had like physical sometimes physical like pagers and all these types of things that you're kind of describing but what what do you think is the sort of sustainable solution to um this type right because because like the um the reason why maybe some people have this type of psd ptsd is because if they don't um uh respond like immediately then right you might get slashed or you might your uptime might go down and and some of these more competitive at least at the moment the limited set of metrics that validators are compared across each other um right that's what you have to be competitive on or at least like be at the default um but but yeah how do you see that scaling as right from because there's many size of validators right as you kind of mentioned mm -hmm. to you guys it's expensive to have 
other people in different time zones, sometimes having that 24 seven three, six, five coverage. Uh, but as for you uh, itself, right? Cause it seems like you guys are all, I think we're, I think you're going to get some very different answers for this, but I'll let, I'll let the others go first. So I think the part of the problem is tender duty itself. Um, most of us use tender duty and when tender duty first came out, it didn't have different scaling for what level of crisis a, an alert was right. So it could have been anything from it being stalled for 30 seconds, say, and then it would send off the most critical alarm it could. Right. Um, and then now uh, I implemented like the different alerts probably six months ago, but I don't know anyone that has actually updated theirs with the new system. Right. So now it can be, you can, you can set it relatively fine tune what is actually going to inform you or not. And I think that to, to Yarma's, to Rama, Yarma, Rama's point, setting up good alerting is that's very advanced, but it's so necessary, right? There are so many things that you can be alerted for that only kind of sort a little bit matter. Something you need to know about, but you don't need to address immediately. Yeah, be, like be aware saying, of. Yeah. Be aware of. Yeah. Send it to discord, whatever, but you don't need to be called at four in the morning for it. And <laughs> making that leap of the call versus a small alert. That's a, that's a, I would say it's a very big leap that most validators haven't started making yet. Well, it's a, it's a quality of life thing. Like you go from, you know, if, if you manage your alerts properly and even the way like alerts are raised, like we've changed a lot of things to be time-based. So, you know, sometimes stuff just teeters over and then goes back or you might get a temporary stall while there's like a lot of transactions in a block or something. And well, that might be perceived as a stall, but it's just, you know, part of the process of the block. So we've like tuned our actual alerts to be more representative of what's going on. So, you know, a stall won't immediately give you a, a warning if it's stalled for like five seconds or longer than a normal block time, it'll wait like a minute because it doesn't matter if you're stalled for a minute or it doesn't matter if your particular node is stalled for a minute at all. Um, you might miss a couple of blocks, but um, you know, but if you're persistently stalling, then you're going to start missing a lot of blocks. And then that's where, you know, you tear up your, your miscounters. So, you know, if you're at 5%, I think that's a good, good place to start telling you, but that's not, an, that's not a page of duty alert. If you're at 10%, like maybe you want to get a text about that, but that's still not wake you up in the middle of the night territory. If you're at 50%, you really need to address that issue. So, um, I mean, I, I think especially if you, if you share a house with somebody else and I mean, doubly so when the small human problem occurs, I, I think until number don't go up anymore, it probably isn't a phone call. Like, uh, I I went back like properly full time like nine days after the We One appeared, and I think within three days I'd prioritize changing all the page of duty because if if this is the only ninety minutes of sleep, clear sleep you're going to get that night, and page of duty goes off forty five minutes in, you are dead. Not because it's a problem for you. Maybe you can function. Your partner is going to cut your skin off and wear it as a coat. <laughs> and that's incredibly potent, um, uh, you know, incentive to 
fix pager duty and also to add like so one of the i think the only two ones now that will wake me up in the middle of the night um are number really don't go up number has not been going out for some time and i don't know where the fuck the web server has gone um which the second one actually is the only alert in our entire suite where because it's never happened, that alert has never triggered. And as a result, I don't trust it. And I keep coming up with more and more elaborate ways to try and test that eventuality. Cause we do use some cloud stuff and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the old bit of on demand, but I so think eventually I'm going to add too much alerting, right? And it is just going to go off because I've added too many alerts and one of them just fails because of some reason. And I fucking guarantee it would be at the worst possible time in the worst possible situation. It probably won't even wake me up, but it will wake the rest of the house up. And, you know, uh, you know, I don't even need to explain why, you know, it's going to be a bad morning for me after that. I'm going to be I'm going to be in the doghouse. So, Dan, you and a bunch of um, steakfish people have started a new validator yeah how, how do you guys uh, manage can yours? I real quick yeah we haven't introduced dan dan we all know you of course do you want to introduce yourself a little bit Just I mean, we, said, some oh, that's a good we idea. said he is dan that's a yeah, good idea. exactly uh yeah so, i i guess in this capacity i'm representing alio it's a zkl one that's like this hybrid it's it's basically straightforward Consensus and block building are done with POS, but there's like a POW element, which is this mining component for grinding ZK snarks, uh, which you get kind of off-chain computation verified through ZK. Um, uh, but but yeah, I I've been in the validator space for a while. I wouldn't necessarily call it a validator. It's like a it's like an incubator. Um, one of my goals is to I want like a as corny as it sounds. I want a validator to exist in every country until <laughs> um, like, cause, cause uh, yeah, th- that's going to be a long spiel, but um, that's kind of what I want to help curate. I want to have more um, different parts of the world, have more representation. It was interesting hearing you guys talk about Australia um, because that's like a pretty interesting kind of like, right. It's literally geographically separated but then um, being able to have that type of connectivity to represent like that part of the APAC, right? Even though Australia is not Asian, right? It's still considered APAC. Um, uh, I think is extremely important just for most of like the infrastructure resilience of networks uh, that we had seen, obviously with like what happened on Solana in 2021 with Hetzner. Mm-hmm. And then also the ideological um, component of that for right, if these blockchains are supposed to serve the entire world, it should be served, you know, pun intended, uh, with with servers and stuff from all around the world. Right? I I don't think there should be like a a specific contingent. Sorry, I don't think that it's great to have a specific like region in the world that gets to dictate the type of infrastructure services and how those infrastructure services can eventually be responsible for guiding from off-chain to on-chain governance, how the rest of the world uses it, right? The rest of the world has to also be at the table. And then if there's this table that that this blockchain governance, off-chain or on-chain is happening, the seats around that table should be representative of ma- many different types of uh, regions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to make sure that the people that are sitting in those chairs are capable of contributing to these global conversations at an adequate level. 
where if the conversations are calculus and you only know how to speak algebra, then you need to get them to a, to a level where they are capable of speaking, speaking that language. So uh, funny, funny enough, it's like, you know, if we can have like a UN of validators or I don't know, we can maybe call it like the G20 or something or BRICS versus NATO. <laughs> I don't know. But I think that's the way that, right, that both services the ideological um, goal for this type of decentralization, which then services or makes it a lot easier for this type of infrastructure resilience and decentralized infrastructure hotspots, which maybe we can call it like black holes, right? Because we definitely had a black hole in Western Europe for a certain amount of time. Um, but then we need to plant other black holes in different parts. So the gravity well doesn't get bigger and bigger the longer we wait. So back to your, your question a minute ago, Dan, which was about um, <clears throat> like uptime resilience, yeah. that kind of stuff from a validator, validator basis. Like, you know, from, from the perspective of what you've just been talking about, <clears throat> uh, and I suppose what you're saying with, you know, the status quo right now, there are validators at the table, there are validators not. There, is there a tension there, right? Because, you know, the, the way to have uptime is to have professional operations that are making enough money so first of all there's an economic thing that's currently not happening in a bear market which is that you need to probably from every single chain be able to wash your own face and possibly pay for multiple employees which is obviously just not the status quo and arguably with the number of blockchains that are extant now it is not possible there's not big enough market um for for enough money to pay for enough people to get that security other than a, f- a small number of very big validators, which is not enough, that that number, whatever that is, of really big validator companies is not nearly enough for decentralization, right? And then you look at the, uh, and, and that's in the context again. So this is where the, the tension is even more so, the, the context where even if you take all validators, including all the small ones, there still aren't enough validators to meaningfully talk about decentralization in a lot of cases in terms of, true fault tolerance of of the kind envisaged ideologically i think at a really uh high level for these kinds of 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 systems right so i I guess there's i i'm kind of interested in like you what do you think of the do you think that the, the i guess there's two questions here right number one is do you think that the current big incumbents are actually like an anti pattern thing that we need to be worried about because if so, there's a tension there between the fact that they're the only ones that can currently run professionally, or at least whether or not they do, they seem to do get slashed a lot. So the the reality is different, right? But but they, on paper, they're the only ones that can afford to do the professional infrastructure things that we'd expect. Yeah. And the number two is they're like, well, d- does the entire system, if it's going to expand to be truly decentralized, like you said, you know, have a huge number of participants, should we be just trying to take governance and all that stuff out of the picture? And and require no education other than the technical education to run the thing, uh, you know. Make it. Back, I mean, back, I suppose back to the original Bitcoin. Run it on your laptop, mine some bitcoins, right? It, it didn't require much brain power. You just ran the ran the demon, you know. And it, it obviously wasn't decentralized, but it was. Uh, you ran the laptop. It did the thing. It did one thing. You didn't have to worry about voting. Yeah, this is these. Those, all three of those questions are fascinating questions that I've been th- thinking a lot about. Um, so one was uh, actually I, I had hosted this infrastructure conference in Vienna, Austria in July, um, that that I think, um, uh, and we wrote a report 
um, from that. And it was basically a survey of validators that, that had, had, that had, um, um, uh, attended, uh, and, and I believe I, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it, that was very like last minute. I think I invited most, most of you guys as well, but we basically had the whole stack, right? We had the foundations like EF, Solana foundation, web three foundation, ICF, um, and then Alio. And then we had like, a lot of the validators from each of those networks and the data centers, cloud providers, um, et cetera, like Tencent, Alibaba, Hetzner, OVH, Equinix, Latitude. Um, and it was really fascinating because there's sort of like this, right, short-term and long-term kind of thinking, which addresses, I think, your second question about the professional versus um, non-professional val- I wouldn't call it non-professional, but professional, like large-scale uh, validators versus like smaller uh, and medium size. And I do have an opinion on that, but, um, most validators, I think want preferred that type of, to address your, your last point, it's like the commoditization of it. Um, I'm not saying like I am deeply rooted in the type of, uh, role that validators or as infrastructure service providers should take in that difference between a POW specifically commoditized to a POS, which is a bit more specialized. Because I, I, in my opinion, I, I, f- I feel like the moment we switched to POS, uh, we be, we did not become commoditized because there was this very clear element of um, specialization that that required differentiation that that required publicized differentiation between the different infrastructure providers to get different stake, right? Because everyone has to fight for stake, right? Have stake come to them. And that's where like that specialization differs from that commoditization because it's not like a infrastructure down to the different types of. Energy. Is it? Is it, it? It is specialization, I suppose. I would I would agree with that, but it's more of a million monkeys, million typewriters specialization than it is. Um, it's people brute forcing a solution to get more stake rather than uh you know and this this is what we would expect i think from my yeah i'm I'm not i'm not hip to the maths but i would expect from a guy kind of evolutionary behavior perspective uh or like a complex systems perspective that people would try the dumbest things first before they get to the point of going oh i'm going to read a bunch of governance and think carefully about stuff and write essays and publish um you know blog posts that are well thought out like some of schultz's or whatever uh to try and get more stake you know first of all i'm going to try i'm going to like copy paste somebody's code that has a staking ui that will only stake to our thing uh the second thing i'll do is i'll go on twitter and slag off a bunch of people really loudly whip up a mob of people and get a bunch of stake you know those are the kinds of things that like a lot of like you know various degrees in various places but like a lot of the tactics so far in the space have been very lowest common denominator, you know? Yeah. That's maybe my feeling, but I don't think it's uncommon a feeling, you know? Yeah, it isn't. And I, and I do think it's also because of the lack of um, let's say actionable analytics. So we have like very small set of quantitative data that people are able to kind of see, but that is also something that, people don't necessarily care about and see too much. I would say like lazy or um, sticky steak. Uh, I think a really good taste of that we saw in a th- even in Ethereum, which is a m- some of the more commoditized POS infrastructure, 
is there was a very large validator that did eventually get acquired by a large centralized exchange that um, when the beacon chain first launched, they got slashed like 75 times in a row. So much, so bad that a lot of validators and we, I myself had reached out to them asking like, hey, do you need any help or what's going on? But that the, the reality was that you should not have even gotten slashed and, and been kicked out of the set even once because at least with a beacon chain, you're out for the whole year. You're not getting any stake and that you can't withdraw it. Um, but, and so the, the sort of like the quantitative metric that people would be able to base their decision on what, who to stake was very bad for that particular validator service provider. But the reality uh, was that people still staked in mass, incredibly large amounts, which spoke to this sort of like people didn't care or people didn't know enough to care or they didn't know where to look to care. And it was just branding that made it a such a sort of like this. Uh, well, it's back to, it's kind of, I suppose, back to the mistaking a technological system for a social system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because the, the exactly. wherever, however it is that social discovery of like, because it's the thing of like, you know, why do people not steal that them they're concerned as much about like in a, in a small community, you're concerned more about, uh, or a better example would be like maybe credit or debt, right? You could go to, if you live in a small village, you can go to the pub, drink a few pints and say, oh, fuck, I haven't got my wallet with me. Can I come back and pay tomorrow? You're going to come back and pay tomorrow because otherwise that person is going to tell everybody, you can fucking pay me. It's, yeah. Owes me, owes me five pints. Like, and whatever that kind of social discovery means is, you know, some of those means could be very, very complex, but they don't exist yet or they're poorly, poorly available, maybe, or poorly understood. I, I think um, it is. But that's also still trying to, that, that's also still a little bit like my engineering hat on there. I'm like, oh, well, maybe we can build a solution. But yeah, I don't think, I don't know. It's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's uh, it's the reason why Rated exists, right? Like Elias Simos from Bison Trails, he used to be a protocol specialist there. He left and he made like a very comprehensive Ethereum validator analytics um, review, review tool. And then they raised a lot of money and then they're servicing that. Same with uh, JK, the former strategy head of Stakefish. He left and created Apibara, which also does that type of, um, it's kind of like a mixture of like stake pooling with uh, validator analytics on different chains. And that I think is a evolution of, a, a rightful evolution of the type of analytics that can be actionable um, that will change us from what we saw with that previous validator service provider that got slashed like 75 times in a row when the Ethereum beacon chain just launched to how people can kind of be judged on their merits. Uh, and that type of sort of like frameworks or standardization, I think is going to help solve, right? I, I really think that's the level of us getting the validator ecosystem coming from like this adolescent phase into like this maturity phase, I think three years, three four years ago, I think validator ecosystem was definitely still in its infancy. But right, I think there are. It, it's like inefficient market resulted in very inefficient sort of, uh, um, let's say, stake being distributed. Um, but hopefully, we're going to be able to see some of that um, more efficient uh, sort of stake being flown away, and, and perhaps it's just removing the choice from from users that like stake pools do. Right. Okay. I mean, state pools is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because you're effectively, it's like, you know, hedging your risk, isn't it? Across multiple uh, validators. It's like quite a smart, yeah. a smart thing to present. To be. It's, it's, it's an example of a technological solution to the social problem, right? Just go, well, don't ever let people 
uh, stake to one provider and try and spread it out in some way. Um, but I suppose there's another question here, right? We're obviously talking primarily, you know, from from experience and background, Cosmos, um, Ethereum, you know, and and look, okay, three to five years time, obviously Ethereum staking is still going to be a thing. It's like Bitcoin; it has intrinsic value just on brand at this point, and will continue to do so. But all of the other networks that we're kind of a part of now that might be worth something now, you know, are we at the point where all of those sort of validator run networks are going to survive? Almost certainly not. Like almost certainly like the 90th percentile, right? If we're looking at startups, we'd say nine out of 10 would fail. I think for blockchains, it's likely to be higher than that. But what does this mean in terms of validators and proof of stake, right? Because this... So we've been talking about it as a social problem and a technical problem. What happens if somebody's technical solution that ends up getting traction is we just abandon proof of stake and validators do move back to more of a an infrastructure provider role, but maybe they become, let's say, even more fungible, or maybe they become less fungible, right? I, I, I don't know. I haven't uh, thought quite enough about it to know what the pros and cons would be of designing a system where validators were were more fungible uh sorry less fungible but i guess i do i i do know that the reality is that if you wanted to be super decentralized a good way of doing that would be to make them way more fungible right yes and uh and as much as i love pow and bitcoin um i uh i i give i give this like presentation a lot when i was doing these validator workshops in southeast asia and, and stuff but something that's I, I think is um, uh, given sort of like, and I love like the whole network state idea and concept, by the way, and I'm not like ragging on it too. I don't want to say I'll be ragging on it too much, but everyone, we all live somewhere, right? We all <laughs> live in some jurisdiction and we're like obviously doxxed and stuff. And I don't want to live in a cave with like some node strapped to my back and like try to like beam stuff into set into space to like, you know, stay with the ideology. Cause believe me, I, I used, I was probably the most maximalistic Ethereum classic supporter back in the day. But like the, the reality is that we all have to abide by certain jurisdictions. Like there's jurisdictions that require compliance to particular sort of like views that they have. And whether that be OFAC compliance or the way that you tax your validator or, or, or staking rewards, et cetera, that are beholden to sort of, and that becomes like a limiting factor to where you can host your infrastructure, which is an existential threat to the type of infrastructure resilience that that a network requires to be sort of like claim its 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 resilience and because of that decentralization. And so I think there needs to be this, this complementary step that validator operators, let's say infrastructure service providers have where they are formed in in a certain way where that commoditization argument of like sorry that anonymous commoditization um, path becomes less and less certain as let's say the next five to ten years uh, regulatory regimes or countries or different like groups of countries get to decide or bring the gavel down on 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 this so yeah. like you know you know a technical version of of that of a vision like that might be to say okay you know is a validator 
a single validator or is a, val is a validator a distributed group of three validators that all get equal reward? I mean, let's not get into the fact that legally that might be considered a joint venture or multilateral joint venture or something. I know it is. I'm not going to bring out the totally tax time banner again. We're not going <laughs> to, you know, like anything else, we'll get the legal advice we need when we get there. But is that the kind of thing you're talking about where you'd have uh, multiple entities combined or is it some other... Uh, some other kind of, of situation. I, I, no, no I, I don't necessarily think, yeah, maybe that, that'd be actually quite interesting if there's like a group of entities that do come back. I, I pulled that out of my back pocket purely because, uh, yeah. so something that's, that's happened since I think you're on the, the podcast last time, Daniel, is I am, uh, I'm a, I'm a, a, a computer science researcher. Uh, when I'm not running the validator company, I'm part time, doing a part time PhD. I'm a computer science researcher into, um digital cash like future of money stuff so it's all cbdc type stuff one of the interesting problems you have with that is that you have a bunch of small a small number of operators that are banks right if they fuck up that you know the world melts down right a government has to go into parliament and be like why has this validator stopped signing blocks right those are not the guys you need to worry about but they also like as part of like a lot of these infrastructure designs for anything that might ever potentially interface into any kind of permissionless network there's different tiers right and you get to the point where you're like okay well it in uh, depends on your your solution for digital cash right but in a bunch of situations you have parts of your architectural piece that are essential but potentially untrustworthy uh, untrusted uh compared to or of a lower trust level or lower quality than a bank right so one of the things that i i've had a lot of thinking time on in the last couple of months has been how do you how do you sort of try how what's your level of trust for say an entity that is like a company but may be fallible but nobody is going to get pulled in front of like a, a you know a political uh like a what's it called an inquiry board if something goes wrong because people's money has disappeared, right? Because we're talking about actual dollars here, actual dollars issued by the the central government, actual pounds, actual euros, whatever. And one of the one of the interesting things that I'd been thinking about was multi jurisdictional um, entities, because a lot of times all our validators are is a public key, right? And you can constitute a public key in a whole bunch of ways. So uh, I don't know. There's something quite interesting in that in that design space, which is is something that's very front of my mind. So that's. That's a long-winded way of saying, I know I said something that was interesting there. It wasn't something I, I'm not clever enough to have just pulled that out of my back pocket. Yeah, so. I think maybe the closest like that DVT style uh, way of running it. But but also, uh, I, I, I think what is um, what I would like to see it from a lens of is that because you're describing like multi-jurisdictional, like, you know, like uh, currency and I think you have to look at it. I, I would say that I would like to look at it from that perspective where it's um, that you're running. The assumption is that the technological solution or techno, the financial technology platform that is this blockchain that you're servicing and need to keep up is going to be the de facto platform that the world uses. And from that perspective, that comes with a certain level of responsibility that some of these infrastructure providers or node runners, et cetera, um, have to have to operate with. And then that requires, and just working backward, that requires all these different things that we need to fix, right? 
not fix, but address, right? Like the, the type of, as, as we were talking about initially, right? Like what type of operators are necessary to ensure that there is high uptime um, so that there is no relatively lower interruptions to this network that the entire world's financial ecosystem and whatever is built on top of it is going to continue to, to operate with, you know, minimal catastrophic damage if it does happen and and the ability to recover from that, um, which is obviously like decentralization addresses that with its infrastructure resilience, but also from like the operator level, I, 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 and, and as you mentioned, like the future of validators on different POS networks that may survive or not. Um, I, I kind of see it like, uh, and sorry for my bad analogies, but it's like, um, I, I kind of see like networks as like different cities and loyal the and and maybe like validators are in some ways a bit mercenary because they are like operating different networks right they they don't necessarily they wouldn't necessarily claim to be loyalist to a particular network and in this analogy like a city but i do see think that eventually that consolidation as proof of stake networks they don't succeed validators can easily leave or 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 relatively with a bit of friction leave depending on well there's a there's a more alarming uh addendum to that analogy right which is in the city states period of european history primarily mercenaries were paid in movable goods and gold and when they weren't paid they sacked the city state that they were uh they were formally contracted to um i'm not just uh, saying this is my opinion or statement but i sometimes that um extreme circumstances do help build better systems. <laughs> so, so, but, but like, um, I'm not advocating for that. I, I think a really great example is like, um, right. Like when the wildfires were going on in Canada and they blew out to like New York and everyone was complaining, there were like those studies that are coming out and saying like, you know, 30% of these wildfires are started by firemen or ex-firemen because their communities were threatening to like take away like bur- their budget or something. Where sometimes there's like the you have to hold someone's hand to the fire, but that's not the solution. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's in the wrong path. But because of that, there. I mean, I'm I'm kind of waiting for when there is a blockchain that whether it's due to foundation mismanaging delegations or some other mechanism, the validator set colludes to essentially hold the blockchain's feet to the fire. It. will be fascinating to there, see what there was, it's only a matter of time is my opinion on that one there was a really interesting one um that i was really excited to see um not necessarily because there was like disruptions but there was a foundation that had made a particular decision that angered the validator community and some of the validators purposefully obviously at their own expense they're like shooting themselves in the foot but to make a statement they were um, not producing blocks and then that disrupted the network and slowed it down a bit. It's kind of like the whole like Buddhist monks. What, what network was that? Well, I'm guessing it wasn't in Cosmos. It was I think elsewhere. it was. I have to, it was a smaller chain. Uh, I have to look it up again, but it's like, you know, it was self-immolation protest, right? It brought attention and it disrupted things, right? People like protesters going onto the highways and blocking traffic, even though it had nothing to do with it, but it, it got attention and then, you know, I don't know if the foundation that that blockchain's foundation did anything, um, but it's it's. Uh, 
I wouldn't say it's collusion. I would say it's coordination. And I think that's like more democratic coordination to make things happen where actually infrastructure service providers like validators are basically, you know, hold the keys to the castle, right? Like if there is enough coordination, validators can do whatever they, they want. Um, no, it was a separate one, not from Jacob, but, um, uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, but, but just to finish my analogy for like the, the consolidation of chains, um, where validators will have to be like choose, right. They, uh, a mercenary eventually has to have a headquarters somewhere. Right. And I think the winning chain or the winning town or city or however large that becomes, that will become sort of like it's where it will kind of plant its the bricks and instead of tent poles and stuff. Um, and, and I think that is the process through um, where we, we don't necessarily have too many um, uh, of that sort of like choice and loyalty um, situation. Do you, I mean, but do you think, I, I mean, again, this is just kind of just off the top of my head, but like, you know, if, what what would that even look like in terms of like you know validators like planting deeper roots in in one community or in one blockchain like because there isn't a lot of you know what else other than maybe investing more in the community it would seem that the the better um more optimal play for a validator is always to plant deeper roots within the validator community to shore up a position of of well i i use the word collusion which is probably not the right word, but you know, you sort of saying like, um, I guess like mutual support, right? Because if you look at something like mesh security on the one hand, right, which is all about, uh, I mean, I guess it's in some sense, it's a little bit like state, a shared state pool, right? Isn't it? But like the thing for a validator to do, if you're, Hey, we've, we can afford to do whatever we want, twiddle our thumbs as long as the validators stay up for three years. And we've got, let's imagine some amount, we've got $3 million. We can hire some engineers. What should we do with our time? Like it would be a better uh, like it would be interesting to know whether spending three million dollars investing in a community and trying to get more stake on a network versus going should we implement a staking solution where we could gang together with several validators increase our overall size and all of us take a slice of a pie I would I would guess that the supply side one going with the validators would be a better business decision and bring more benefit from an economic perspective. Yeah, it's like a union, wrong. right? A union could uh, <laughs> you like the union. well? You're trying to create monopsony power, so yes, it's exactly like a union. It's uh, well, it's like it's a cartel. Yeah, yeah, and and um, or a guild if we're being charitable. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the very existence of guilds um, that have the ability to take power will also invite the creation of other guilds as well, which I think from this more like capitalistic or game, this capitalistic approach of right incentives drive everything on these chains for operators that, right. That, that should, that should be a thing. Um, cause, cause for example, if you guys collude and you have enough stake power and you change a protocol and then you increase your, you say like, if you're a part of this guild, you have to, we get more stake. Reward, staking rewards or something, right? Then other people are going to protest. Whoever, that's an extreme example, but I think the and maybe we should start a game of nodes guild where <laughs> yeah. you have to acquire some stake, and then you give you give the people on this podcast five percent of the stake that you've acquired in order to be a part of the guild, 
and then you get to keep 95%, no big deal. But then, you know, we have, you know, just, is it more like NATO? Is it more like the mafia? You decide. Yeah, or is it just like a two party system? Right. Um, but, um, but I guess, I guess like getting back to the, um, the, I guess like the future of what validators should be in terms of like powerful, larger service provider, validator service providers that are just professional um, versus like other types. I, I am of the opinion that um, that it we if if POS versus POW is commoditized to specialized, then there needs to be more leaning into specialized, and that validators themselves should not only have the responsibility of just running infrastructure, because if you just run infrastructure, that type of specialization will just aggregate power to larger providers that can um, sort of just run infrastructure, right? That That's all they need. Um, uh, and their DevOps team will be like five people and their marketing team will be like 30 people, right? Like, cause that, that, that's that type of game that exists uh, in reality with the larger staking service providers. But in, in order to avoid that, I think the leaning into specialization um, is going to be, I think, a more diverse and healthy ecosystem where to, to respond to your question of, of uh, like what, what can validators do or contribute into their ecosystems, um, you have the... Uh, you have many things that are not just infrastructure providers. And, and I think a very small example uh, or, or, or like one part of an example is um, the, the, uh, the uh, hackathon company that runs validators and then they run validators for public goods. I forgot what that was called. Dora Hacks. Yeah, yeah. So, right? Dora Hacks, they, they do hackathons, but then they also run validators and then they fulfill like a pretty important part of an early ecosystem and establishing these uh, th this element of this ecosystem. And if we're using this sort of town or city analogy, there's a lot of different parts of the of the of this town or city or ecosystem that um, that that is critical to, to keep it alive. And so right, who are the firemen or fi policemen or like water companies or like Etc. Public library of these ecosystems that are like these this fundamental layer, and I do think that um, maybe it's like the other way. Maybe it's also that there are different companies or organizations that can fulfill parts of the ecosystem uh, while, and then also run run a, run a validator. I'm not saying that's like the only solution, but that's an interesting way of kind of seeding in addressing the this, this was a there was a variation on this very very common in, in cosmos right which is devs should run validators but then as dev you spend yeah a huge amount of your time running the validator and less time deving and actually in certain cases the validator becomes more profitable than development and then the development stops yeah um it doesn't I mean, even that, have to be dev. and i say that because like my my path into validation was a dev who ran a validator and then the validator business, you know, we we bring in people, we 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 bring in contractors and other people to help run our validator business because it is that much more significant than anything I could do as an individual dev, and that's why the business went in that direction, right? 
So, so that's, I mean, and there's another interesting corollary to what you said, which is obviously that there's these entities that have agency in the system, right? And some of them are documented at the moment, some of them aren't. Two of the only ones we know about for certain are devs, uh, validators, and we obviously, the foundation is super obvious, but, um, you know, there, there are likely a lot of other personas that we don't know about at the moment. But the question is, like, should all those personas run validators? Probably not. Is the system ever going to account for those people formally? Maybe not. So then you're like, well, it's back to the question of like, you know, with the validator comments and everything, like who's lobbying validators? And, and they, these are interesting questions, right? But at the end of the day, it only matters on the chains where there's money to be made or yeah. where there's economic value or... Yeah, exactly, right? If a city is doing well, has a lot of money, then everyone goes to that city, right? Like that's that, like no one wants to live in a small country town anymore. They all move to the city. And, and it's it's that small country town's prerogative to become a big city. Uh, um, right? It's 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 a uh, it's a problem also, I think, with um, increasing inflation. Right, because you can increase inflation as much as you want, you get more of these tokens. But if they're not worth anything, it's 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 a fight that you have to have. But um, uh, it's kind of breaking the analogy. If like you try to compare it to like how cities became greater or nations became greater, they like they like fought wars and took over each other. But I don't think like networks have like armies that they can they can use. well yeah they took over they took over you know supplies of movable goods and used it to pay for more yeah. more soldiers yeah, and then so. eventually ran out of goods to pay the soldiers and usually got sacked themselves so so i i don't know what that solution is but but i think a lot of things can become a bit clear in terms of motives if you do look at it from that lens of right hey like these blockchains some of these blockchains are literally trying to replace the monetary supply Right. And like, what does that look like? Um, and then things definitely become inherently geopolitical and you have to be complementary to particular regulatory uh, regions and um, and stuff like that. But but yeah, the TLDR is is I think that the specialization is at least from the L1 perspective is nice because you can have this diversity diversity of organizations and contributors to your community that make it inherently right diversity is 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 resilient and then they're also all taking part in what you would say it's like staking or sorry node operating and staking is both contributing to your own network security and then also providing right this sort of redundancy layer and resilience where you're just having this these these nodes that are operating also, right? It's like a bakery running a validator in this, uh, running something, or let's call staking like moving water around. Everyone needs water, right? Like a fire department also pouring water, like police department. I think it's um, that becomes that maybe that part can be tight, come a bit co- commoditized. I know that argument breaks because there's that whole white label problem that you have. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, we will, we will. F- I hopefully we'll figure that out. Um, but I think my personal opinion is specialization is better um, and can address a lot of, or, or can potentially address um, some of the issues that we've been having. And with a lot of these sort of parallel developments in uh, in the validator and L1 ecosystem and ecosystem evolution, um, hopefully we're going to be able to see a more mature network 
after a lot of the problems that we've seen in the past, right? And I had mentioned like a few like like better analytics to judge people, judge validators, right? Like like Rated or Abibara, um, and then increased like operational expertise and experience, right? From validators have been running for a couple of years now. And then with L1 teams that are open to kind of like developing these ecosystems with these validators, like I do help with Alio uh, for the validator side. Um, and then hopefully getting this type of clarity on, on how the blockchain world exists in our world. Um, because, right, I don't think anyone is comfortable with living their life in caves. We all want to be able to have some clarity without having like the FBI knocking on your door and telling you you're going to go to jail if unless you shut down your nodes um, or something like that, right? So I, I think I'm pretty bullish on a lot of these these sort of parallels having evolved over time um, and turning into something that we can weave together uh, to make a something that looks straightforward. Um, and then, right, making sure that there is sustainability for um, how everyone exists. Uh, but the reality is that eventually there's going to be a winner or, or a handful of winners. And the vast majority of these chains will not be uh, around. Uh, I'd like to circle back around to something you said. You said uh, the problem of white labels hinders this. Do you consider white labeling as a problem? It's, white labeling isn't really something we've discussed too much on this podcast, mostly because I imagine it doesn't come up too often. And so there's not a lot of reason to discuss it. Um, I think it's the fact that you've raised it. Yeah, I think it's a temporary solution. the The most glaring problem was the Ronin hack, because the majority of those validators, I think six out of seven, or I forget, um, were white labeled, and then there was one that was DAO controlled, and all the North Korean hackers had to do was get enough tokens to control that DAO to control that last validator, and they were able to pull off the largest heist, because right. Right, like decentralized in name only, and then they're all just being controlled by a single entity. Or like, you know, you can also say decentralized in name only and all running on AWS or right. So I think that's the existential risk of white labeling. But white labeling can help um uh I think it white labeling is also used um for decentralization. For example, a lot of centralized exchanges um white label their services, right? They, they don't run their own validator. They do, but then they also allow other validators, external third parties come, they do diligence them, they vet them, and then they will run valid- parts of their stake or parts of their networks, right? If there's they need to run Polkadot validators in staking, they'll have some Polkadot validators, right? Like come in and help help service those. Um, but, but I do think, and I know Cosmos has always had like these witch hunts with white labeling, um, which is, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily bad or good, but um, it's 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 uh, yeah. It, it, I think it's a temporary. They are temporary solutions because in my ideal world, um, I think centralized exchanges should run their own validators and take more active active uh, roles in the ecosystem that way. Um, and yeah, so. Uh, so in the case of like centralized exchanges running validators, so actually, I mean, really in the case of any entity running validators, I suppose, you know, back, back to the decentralization tension, right? Um, there are a bunch of ways that we've talked about in the podcast over the years now about how you can um, measure decentralization in a set 
that's a whole other conversation. But you know, do you do you think that there's some kind of thing where there is like other than the obvious, which is the minimum threshold of voting power, be that fifty percent, be that thirty three point four percent. But do you think that there is a pragmatic um, case for always limiting like the upper bound of what a validator should have relative to some arbitrary number, right? I mean, that, that might just be simply profitability, right? The upper bound should be just above where profitability is and the validator sh- set should be just as wide as is profitable. I don't know, but... Yeah, that that's I, there's a sort of consensus level answer to that, right? Because for example, on Alio, if you have more than 25% of the network, you don't get any rewards beyond that. And then that's specifically to make sure that there are at least four node operators running um, a chain at all times, the Alio chain at all times. Um, yeah, go ahead. So the 25% threshold, does that mean that they can't be delegated to above 25%? You can delegate to them, but then you're just not going to get any extra rewards beyond that 25% staked. Um, so does that mean like, say you've got 10 different people with a hundred, you know, staked and that, and that equals 50% of the total available to stake, right? Does that mean that like those 10 people get rewards on 50 of their tokens and not a hundred or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you don't get anything beyond that. So the reduction is distributed across. Yeah. It's proportional, proportionate. Yeah. Um, it's still pretty high. I couldn't imagine that happening, to be honest. Yeah, um, but but and so yeah, that's like at least with Alio, that's like the very specific technical um, requirement for that type of decentralization, right? Because like you're not incentivized from a game theoretic grade to to stake with a validator just because it's at the top and it has more than twenty five percent. And so I guess communicating that to the stake is, is also important because you can have that limitation there, but if no one knows about it, they'll just be receiving less rewards and not know why. I just think it's normal. Yeah, and it's just like how on a lot of other networks, people <laughs> will stake because a validator is initially setting their commission at like 5% and then a week later they set it to like 50%. No one checks and they're like, <laughs> what, happened to all my, what happened to all my rewards? Um, so, yeah, that- so that's also a, a UX problem. And yeah. yeah. I believe like Leap Wallet attempt to um, help, you know, the people who use that wallet with those types of things. Like I know, for example, that you will get an alert if you get slashed, particularly on Kajira and everyone will leave. <laughs> which is which is nice. I think like the interface that wallets have, like mobile wallets, for example, are really great. So for example, Phantom Wallet, like the popular Solana wallet, they run their own validator, right? And you can choose right. from their validator and then, it's like you, you stick with Phantom while about it. Kepler also does, right? Kepler has Kepler. Oh, there, there's a bunch of people who do it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is a good example of one critical piece of the ecosystem that provides a service that isn't staking that, that also um, that has that. Um, but that's the same as the centralized exchanges as well. Like they take all of the tokens yeah. and stake them with their own validator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they just don't. I think there's a very popular, or there's an infamous chain. I think that's mostly centralized exchanges who are running those validators at the, the top of the list. But, um, but then they were also punished, right? Like a lot of people, um, uh, a lot of the ex- independent validators were able to deal with that that problem through protocol level changes. Um, but, but 
but sorry, but to get back to the um, wait, just to be clear, which chain are we talking about them? Which chain? Oh, I didn't say the chain. <laughs> I don't like. I don't want to <laughs> shit on any chain, but there's a there's. Uh, I will say you punch down here, man. Shit on it. There was. It, uh, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. It's. It was so bad that um, there was a security upgrade that needed to pass a governance proposal, but they we didn't hit quorum because none of the centralized exchange validators voted. So we couldn't pass the security upgrade. Um, and then... Was it an SDK chain or is it yeah, some it other... <laughs> oh, yeah? And, and then, um, and then uh, this is a long time ago, but... and then Sounds like Terra. No, no. Uh, I think most <laughs> of the validators on Terra were quite active. Um, but uh, And then we had to vote, do another vote, rally the validators, um, lower the quorum, and then pass the security upgrade is just do things by the book. But that low quorum nice. means weaker security. But um, I think I remember something like that happening. <laughs> it's two syllables. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I but it, but it's also and and I did hear a lot of the the points that some of the centralized exchange validators. Uh, sorry, centralized exchanges did make revalues because they didn't want to have that type of compliance risk. But I think eventually we will have compliance um, clarity. Let's say in the next five-ish years, or however many, however long it takes, on the assumption that blockchains do get completely mass adopted, and then this is the financial technology platform that we will use, um, and it's just going to be straightforward um, from there. But um, but that's like, that's kind of like the lens that I like to kind of look at it from, because this is where we assume it will be. And then we like, how do we get there is, um, is, is that, and I do like value that type of, um, unique specialization that can contribute, right. Centralized exchanges are a very critical part of our ecosystem. They're not all bad. Um, mm-hmm. and they need to play an active part and, and role. Um, so None of you guys can guess it. You can you can DM it in private chat no. and I'll confirm or deny. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, there's so many SDK networks. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like Carver, maybe. I don't know. Carver, yeah. well, they had a lot of fucking. Ah, fuck, I don't know. <laughs>